2: Welcome into another episode of Baseball America's from Phenon with the Farm. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. Today's episode, we are we're doing a little mashup. During the first year of the show, I put together some clips of guys talking about playing in the World Series, what it's like to play World Series baseball. We've had about two years worth of episodes since that that first mashup episode talking about playoff baseball. So today We're hearing from guys on what it's like to play in the postseason in general, or in the World Series. That firsthand perspective of the intensity that comes with October baseball. Uh, A lot of some some new clips that weren't in the last one. These are all past interviews. So if you if you haven't heard any of these clips before, if you want to hear the entire interview, they're all available on the Phenom to the Farm feed. We're sixty plus episodes in now. A lot of great stories. Some really good ones. Some of my favorite interviews. In this episode, we're going to be back on our next episode with a new interview, you know, same format as always uh, episodes of from Phenom to the farm shop every other Tuesday. You enjoy this one, subscribe wherever, you get your podcast, and go check out past interviews. Again, if you enjoy any of these clips today, go check out the, the full interview with each of these players walking through their story. And if you haven't yet, leave a five star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure to subscribe to baseballamerica.com and the BA podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. BA is providing great coverage of the Arizona Fall League. The first AFL hot sheet is up. If you go over to Josh Norris's Twitter feed, he's got a lot of great video from his time in Arizona looking at some of those prospects. So that's always a good watch. Check out that. Lots of great stuff going on at BA. You know, the uh, the prospect handbook is is, is getting going. Going to be doing the, uh, the top 30 soon. So always a good time to be subscribed to Baseball America. First up with today's episode, we're, this is a clip from the great Dontre Willis. Uh, this is one that it was, you see him on TV, you, you watch his career and you're like, that guy seems cool. Just one of the coolest interview setups I've I've ever had talking to Dontrell Willis. He was uh he was under the awning at a golf course, told me he had forty-five minutes before tea time and the fire away. Great to talk to him. It was a great interview. I highly encourage if you haven't heard it yet, go back and check it out. But this one is from that O that three season when Dontrell broke in, set the world on fire. Marlins go to that O three World Series versus the Yankees, and he had struggled in the postseason, and for the World Series he was in the bullpen. And this is his adjustment to that. How he how he found out what his job was going to be, and the experience of, of pitching any Yankee Stadium in the World Series. So that run up to the O3 World Series, you get some starts in the postseason. Goes to the the World Series itself against the Yankees, right. and you find out how did you how did you respond internally when you were you know found out you're not going to start. You're in the bullpen. Oh,
1: I was fine because I was terrible. like that's one thing, that's one thing that, you know, anybody that's played with me, even my golf swing, like I'm, I'm brutally honest about my play and myself. Uh, I I don't mind it. You know, you know, and if you want to be good at something, you kind of have to be your hardest critic and be honest with yourself. So I remember we were finally flying to New York and Jack never walks on the plane. He's walking on the plane. So everyone's like, what the hell is Jack doing? And so he comes right up to me and he tells me on the plane, we want you to switch Posada to the right side, and you have Giambi. And I'm like, he's like, train. If you don't get it together, we don't win this World Series. And it's kind of a flight or flight, uh, flight or fight situation where it's like, do you feel sorry, or you like, or do you welcome that challenge? And I felt like I welcomed that challenge. Didn't also feel like I was really going to factor in the game. And sure enough, I'm in game one, rather than bit in a tough situation. But I appreciate Jack and the staff. Continuing to believe in me to give me that situation to the to, to play better and give us a chance to win.
2: So when he tells you that, like you're like, okay, you you know right away, like okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a right-handed Posada and then I've got Giami, Do you start then suddenly like are you game planning those at bats in your head until you actually get to the game, or is it just situation? You know, depends on the situation.
1: I mean, as a 21 year old, you're going to Yankee Stadium and you're 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 playing in the World Series. It's like, man, I just hope I don't lose my luggage, man. Like this is this this, this is this uh, a whole it, you you can't fathom, like, you're, you're looking at the Yankees and the Monument Park and this everything, all the videos they're playing and Yogi Berra and all these guys are there. And it's just, it's just a surreal moment. But once the game started, yeah, I started to focus on the situation. And even if you're not in the game, during the postseason, you're grinding every pitch, every bat. I mean, I'm grinding as an analyst now watching the postseason. So if you're involved in it, and I'll never forget when the phone rang in the bullpen Everybody's heart stops. It gets silent. It's a weird thing, man. Everyone gets silent, and all of a sudden they say Willis, and I, I, my first response was like, "What." <laughs> I literally said, what? And they're like, you got to hurry. I spit all my sunflower seeds out of my mouth. And I literally put my hat on. my, My cleats untied. I go out there. I warm up in the bullpen. And I don't throw one pitch close. Not one pitch close. Like, I'm bouncing fastballs. And all of a sudden, Jack comes out of the bullpen and points down. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, this is happening. You know what I mean? This is happening. I finally get to play in the World Series game. And running out of that bullpen, which seemed like a mile and a half from left field, the only thing I could think of was, please don't trip and fall. There's 80 million people watching. Not the hitters. Not the situation. I'm just thinking as a 21-year-old kid, don't trip and fall. Get to the mound. And Jack, he's like, looks around, he's like, well, go get him trained. And I was like, that's the most you can say. (laughs) Like, I need to remember the Titans speech right now. You know what I mean? Like, I need some motivation. But, you know, I went in there and and got the job done. So it was really, really fun to just be a part of something like that and playing amongst the best in the world.
2: The next two are more about, or as much about the the culture of being on a playoff team and the kind of mentality you need to to get through that run and I guess to be a championship team. The first one is, is Chad Durbin. I will say this is the one holdover from the first mashup episode. I did way, you know, two years ago, Chad was one of the earliest episodes of the show. It was actually a two part episode. It gave me a lot of time. And just Chad played, you know, almost played 19 years professionally, parts of 11 seasons in the big leagues, a lot of ups, a lot of downs. It was part of those. That, that core Phillies team that, that won a World Series, made it to another World Series, really nuanced perspective at the game. So really enjoyed talking to Chad and wanted to include this one again because it is one of my favorite clips, hearing him talk about those Phillies postseason runs. I mean, that's
0: scary. So, but it was honest, and at least I knew it. It wasn't me guessing at it. So then the next year in 08, and then again in 09 and 10, like those years- I was about I was- to
2: say, we can't skip over 08. We've got we've got a big thing to talk about in 08. <laughs>
0: So, so 08, we just carried that momentum. I mean, you think about the guys that, that were on that team and, and Brad Lidge had a perfect year. Um, I, I fit right in, in the seventh and eighth inning, JC Romero and, and Scott Ayer were the lefties um, in the seventh and eighth inning. Um, you know, Ryan Madsen didn't start out the year well at all. Um, they were hoping that he would be the seventh, eighth inning righty. And I ended up filling that role. And when I hit my wall in September, he was just absolutely coming into his own and the team just, you know, took off. we I don't think there was ever a game where I felt like the other team was better than us. And I've been on in, in, in tons of teams, and, and I felt like the Tigers were really good. But, man, when we played certain teams, it's like, ooh, they're pretty good. But how I felt about our, our, our pen in that group, how the, the players felt about each other, how the starting staff, you know, felt about themselves, how the, the – you know, front office and Pat Gillick just breeds that through an entire organization. So when, when we won the division and, and then started in the playoffs, right before all that happened, I remember Charlie Manuel, you know, having a meeting and he said, you know, I don't want anybody to relax. If, if every, if you're worried about arbitration or you're worried about free agency, or you're worried about getting paid, I can tell you how to get paid. Let's go win. Let's win this whole thing, and every one of you are going to get paid more than you deserve. And that's fantastic. I hope every one of you get it. And what's funny about that is it's exactly what everybody was thinking. For that small window of time that you got to catch your breath between winning a division and the playoffs starting, you start to think about what's going to happen in the offseason for a second. And he caught us, and he kind of redefined our thinking. Let's go win. And I don't – I mean, every game in the playoffs, I felt like we were just going to stomp on the other team. Um, you know, CC was pitching for the Brewers, and, and we lit him up. Um, it just felt like we were going to out-compete anybody we played against. And, and a lot of the 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 pieces that came together, like you had a guy like me who's you know, fought and, and scratched and clawed to, to get where he was and, and you know, owned a role. I could have thrown a fit when Adam Eaton got moved out of that – Fifth spot, they brought Joe Blanton in, but they were gonna have me start. I was going as good as you would possibly want a starter, but Charlie Manuel asked me, like, Yeah, can you buy into this reliever role? Because I think we can win a title with you and a couple other guys buying into relievers roles and not worrying about how much you're gonna get paid next year if you're a starter. Um, so he understood some of those dynamics. And Jeff Jenkins came in that year from Milwaukee in this great career. And Jason Wirth took over the right field spot from him and he bought into it. He was a cheerleader and a leader in the clubhouse and never once blinked and ended up having a huge double in, in game six, uh, no game five of, of the world series. And he ended up, um, you know, scoring a winning run. Uh, it, it's just, it's amazing the things that go on during a season and the buy-in is what separates, um, a season like that from, kind of losing focus you uh you can get caught up in the business end of it and and we all know it's business but that was what was really cool about that team and 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 the staff and i mean the media the fans the fans needed <laughs> they needed a win it had been a long time it had been since mike schmidt was out there in 93 they lost to the blue jays um on on joe carter's walk-off so the we won it we you know the, the playoffs were amazing we, we ended up winning it um in game five of of the world series at home. We had a two day break between the, the sixth or seventh inning and, um, and the finishing of the game. Everybody that came into town, uh, to see the games had to go leave because they, <laughs> their stay was done. And, um, so it was, it was very unique. Uh, the parade was on Halloween. There were 2 million people out there and dressed up as Spider-Man, incredible Hulk and everything else. Um, absolutely some of the best moments, um, you know, of my playing career. And, it was, it was almost so much that the black box kicked in a little bit. Like, I can't I, – I have to watch videos or hear other guys talk. We're 10, 12 years removed from it now. And when I hear guys talk – and or it's usually the media or the coaches because the players were all kind of the same. Like, I barely remember that because I was just focused on the moment. Um, you watch all that stuff and, you know, standing on top of a flatbed and, you know, the, the sound of the crowd. Yeah, that was just really cool. And then the same team almost, you know, to a man kind of came back for the Oh nine season. And I thought we were even better in Oh nine. Um, you know, we, we, we went out and play. I, I threw, I threw pretty well, not as well, but according to Charlie manually thought I threw even better, um, which is weird. He said, I thought you were stronger come, you know, the middle of the season. I thought you trained, right. I thought you did the things you needed to do. And I was one that he trusted more in the playoffs. I ended up having a great, um, NLCS and NLDS, and then um, ran into a couple balls that just landed in open space in uh, in the World Series. But I was trusted. And at 09, I soaked in everything so much more because I'd been there. And that's why you see all these guys, you know, you watch enough baseball. You're like, why is this reliever on this World Series team? He's not as good as these two or three guys, well, he's been in seven World Series or he's been in six postseasons. He's just not going to get rattled. And that was the case. You just It's just another pitch and another game. It just happens to be on this huge stage. Um, and losing to the Yankees in, in 09, um, it hurt, but it would have hurt a whole lot more had we not won it in 08. And it was like, the you know, I think a lot of people talk about this um, in their playing career. You always think you're going to get back. And I remember thinking, in you know, well, we'll be back next year. We'll win it. You know, We'll pick up somebody like Roy Halladay, which they did, and uh, and we'll go win it. And 2010 was – I thought we were even better than we were the previous years. And we went out and, um, you know, some guys started to wear down. Some injuries started to happen, but they were still replenishing um, the ranks. Uh, we, we went out and we ended up losing to the San Francisco Giants that year, and they were red hot. I mean, Linscombe and Baumgartner, all those guys, they just – they came out and just outplayed us, and you had to tip your hat. You know, we lost to the eventual winner again.
2: Next up is Ryan Dempster talking about really the same thing: what a what a World Series champion needs. And with that 2013 Red Sox, really unique situation is is what brought that team together and what motivated that team. This is an interview that, if you haven't listened to it yet, I would I would absolutely dive back into this one. Ryan Dempster was a true joy. Uh, guy, he he does some stand up comedy now. And, uh, that, that comes through in the article guys, uh, just, just a character joy to talk to, uh, here's him talking about the 2013 Red Sox team did my transition for me perfectly because that 2013 Red Sox team, you, you guys are that team. Is there, is there any one thing that you can put on, you know, put on that and say a world series team has this, that other teams I was on do not, or is it, we were just a good team?
3: Well, we were, we were a good team. We, we had Moxie man. And we had, and we had like togetherness like early on, really, really early on, like really joined. And obviously a big part of that was, was the bombing and what it, what it did to the city and United the city after they caught that guy um, on that Friday night. Um, but like, you know, after they caught the guy in, in uh, Watertown on Friday night, our game was canceled Friday and then, we played Saturday and we walked into the field and you, you you couldn't move in the clubhouse. It was head of the FBI, head of secret service, governor, mayor, 50 police officers, special forces, Navy SEALs, you name it. EMTs, firefighters, everybody. And Johnny Gomes just like, Ryan, look, we can't lose dude. Look at It's impossible. We look what we got behind us. And we really kind of like absorbed that energy. And then the fans just gave it to us the whole rest of the year. It was just like in all these moments and different guys doing it. Like, cause if you look at our team, it wasn't like we, we went through four, we were on our fourth closer by the time Koji was closing. Like we, we had, we missed Buckholz, who was like going to win the Cy Young. And then we missed him for months. David Ross was out with a concussion. Like we just constantly overcame adversity. And I think that was our mantra because that's what the city had to do. Uh, they turned tragedy into triumph. It was, it was amazing thing to be a part of, like to be a part of something that was incredibly tragic and terrible and, and broke our hearts and, and crushed families and people lost people in their lives that they will never, ever see again. And just turned it into something special and uniting. And, um, and it was, it was just really surreal to be a part of it all. And I, so I always say, I played one year in Boston. And I feel like I played 10 half my career there. It's it's crazy. It's just the ties to it all. And those guys, and we still have a, a group text message that gets thrown around every once in a while with like a bunch of guys. So it's, it was, it was pretty special to be a part of something like that. And, and an incredible way to
2: go out. Following up that one with another more recent episode, guy who gave me a ton of time, very generous with his time, uh, really unique career, Chris Colabello. And Chris was a member of the 2016 Jays, which won the ALDS. And that that team and in, in this clip is, I think, most fondly remembered for the Jose Bautista bat flip against the Rangers. So this is Chris talking about what it was like to live inside that moment. Yeah, you hit 321 that year. You guys go to the playoffs. I just, I need you to describe for me what it was like w- when Bautista hit that home run oh my goodness um
4: i to, every time i talk about it i get chills i probably talk about it five times a week um it, i mean man oh man it was the, the, it was it was this moment that got built and built and built in totality right down two to nothing uh losing the second game at home uh going down to nothing having to go on the road uh, the way we won game three big homer from Tulo low and like what felt like a game that wasn't close that really was two nothing in like the sixth. And we just kept hitting into double plays and we couldn't score runs. And, and then, you know, game four uh, day game in Texas and, you know, Donaldson, you know, was running his mouth there in BP, and BP, nobody goes up all like me. And I was like, <clears throat> I'm sending right here, dude. And like, then sure enough, he, you know, hits an opposite field homer and he comes in, nobody goes up all like me. And I'm like, and then Gibby turns to Russell
2: Martin. He's like, "Russ, tell him
4: you go up." And I'm like, "Gibby, I'm standing right here." And uh, and then I went up and Josh hit. Josh
2: Donaldson running his mouth. Who'd have thought? Yeah.
4: Well, yeah. I mean, it was and and like you know what? He was the he was the right guy for that team in the right moment at the time. Um, we needed a guy who was, you know, at 7:05, 7:07, whatever time we played. I respect the heck out of the way he plays the game, and he has his moments where you know he's just you know misinterpreted whatever you want to call it but like you know you respect the way he plays the game and um you know and then I end up hitting the homer there in the first and like we 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 ran away with game four to get it to 2-2 and and there was this moment that nobody really saw like we went to do our first workout day in Texas and they didn't rake the field for us before we had our workout so like the Toronto Blue Jays were like grabbing rakes out of the, the 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 shed, and we were, like, raking our own infield, and we are like, <laughs> shouldn't have woken up a sleeping giant, you know. Munanori Kawasaki having a, a full meeting in Japanese before game three when we're down two to nothing, and, like, everybody's just dying laughing. And we're, like, we're going to win the series. Like, we're going to win the series. And get it to 2-2, and now you understand the magnitude of the moment. Like, you know, you, you, you have to play perfect. You can't – you have no – you know, no my bads anymore. Right. Like, and then all of a sudden, you know, the ball goes off, choose bat. And this weird, like cosmic moment that like, it's felt like three hours, like, right. We're out on the field, stuff's getting thrown, reviewing the play, reviewing this. And, you know, the three errors, the next inning, I think we're just the baseball gods saying, "Uh -uh, we're not going to let it end like that. And, you know, Jose being the guy that comes up in that moment is like it, it, he is Toronto in that moment, right? He's like, he's the guy, like, I, I I'm literally happier that he hit it than if I had hit it because like, he embodied the struggle and everything that, that that city was standing for at the time and how good we were playing and how we deserved to be in the ALCS. And, you know, the only thing that's disappointing about the whole thing. And honestly, the moment itself, like it felt like we won the world series when we won, and we just kind of took a deep breath, right? Like we, we took a deep breath and we went and played a Royals team who, you know, had been there and done it and knew to not come off the gas. And and because of that, we got down to nothing again. And, and now like they were, they understood how to, how to win a series. And, you know, I hate to sit here and say like, we were a better team because they won and they deserved it. Cause they won four games quickest. And But man, oh man, if like, if we just go into that, that ALCS with a little bit more, I don't know, urgency, pizzazz, whatever you want to call it. Like, I think that the outcome's different and we hoist the trophy at the end. But um, that moment in time might as well have been a World Series championship because that's how epic it was and how great of a baseball game it turned out to be and stood the test of time, obviously, and will continue to.
2: One of my favorite things from doing the show is hearing guys, especially hitters, just talk about the, the matchup stepping in the box against big league dudes with big league stuff. This clip from Yonder Alonzo talking about his one, his one real experience in the playoffs, uh, the ALDS against that Astros team that had Justin Verlander, that had Garrett Cole, that had Zach Greinke talking about what it's like to dig in against a, an ace likely future hall of famer, or at least perennial all-star, uh, it, it, with the playoffs, with that intensity on the line. What brings more pressure, an A, B in the postseason or one in the College World Series? Oh, the postseason. is not, <laughs> not even a question.
5: That's not even a question.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, is it because of who you're facing? <laughs> yeah,
5: it's Justin Verlander, and he's on top of his game as soon as he steps foot into that field to go warm up in the mound. Yeah, it's game on, man. It's lights on. Yeah, it's lights on. It's It's definitely lights on.
2: So when you're facing an ace, like and a, like a first ballot, like a Verlander, a Scherzer, um, you know, a guy who is on his game, just a step above every other pitcher in baseball. There's like, there's four or five of those guys at one time, you know, every year. What's the game plan when they've got four out pitches? Look, I, these guys,
5: that series, man, I didn't get a hit. All right. I played in two of the three, we got swept. So we only played three games, but that series was just—they were attacking your weakness from the minute you stepped on the plate. And when I'm talking about executing, they were executing so good that I was going back inside the dugout. And and as soon as my first at bat, my first at bat, I was like, oh boy, like, man, like we're we're in for we're in for a, a fight. It's gonna be nasty. And, and to be honest, like it wasn't even a fight. Like it wasn't even fair. Right. We ended up years later knowing like what they were doing and we had no chance. Like we were in a boxing match and the other fighter had blocks inside their mittens. All right. And we were just on a regular cool and easy just trying to box with these guys like we had no chance. Right. We were getting knockout blows from the minute Verlander threw the first pitch to the minute that Altuve stepped foot on on that plate. Like we, we had no chance. So and and their ability to play the game of baseball is just on another level. I mean, these guys are good players. They're they're Verlander is considered as the top. For me, I think Verlander is like the top of the top when it comes to pitchers. So, um he was on top of his game and Cole was really on top of his game. So, um it, it was it was it was a battle from the beginning. I mean, we had no chance.
2: I mean, both those guys were it was it was crazy i mean that that series in that that stretch made garrett cole a, a lot of money listen verlander like the first
5: pitch of that game i'll never forget it was to it was to lindor and it was 100 miles an hour and i was like all right first pitch of the game 100 and he stayed he i think he pitched seven that day and his last pitch was 98 you know like he he was on top of his game so that was that's postseason for you where you know the 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 crowd is rocking during batting practice i mean it is on awesome.
2: i'm going to wrap up this episode with an extended clip from truly my my favorite experience doing this show and i went into it in detail in the interview again if it's something you haven't listened to by all means go check it out this one is with gene larkin gene larkin walked off the 1991 world series for the Minnesota Twins game seven, walk off knock in the bottom at the 10th. Um, I, you know, I, I, I talked about this when, when I did the episode with him, uh, that I, I watched that, that VHS, the 91 world series VHS religiously as a kid, I idolized Gene Larkin, and I knew this hit beat by beat, and and hearing him walk through it was was really special. This clip is extended because Gene Gene Larkin spent a ton of time in the World Series. The '87 Twins and the '91 Twins uh, both went to seven games. Gene was was a go-to pinch-hit guy off the bench. He talks about you know the World Series, talks about that Game Six in '91 coming off a Kirby Puckett walk-off, um, how he prepared, and then how he walked through that final at bat to uh to end up giving the Twins the World Series. This one was yeah, a treat beyond treats for me. I uh, hope it's just as interesting for you. Here's here's Gene Larkin talking about winning the World Series. No, I mean in earlier that game he got up into the plexiglass with that yep. with that catch too. Quite the That's quite the one. Enough. So Jack Buck has the the famous call after after Kirby's home run in Game 6 that we'll see you, see you tomorrow right. night. So he hits that home run. I got to imagine that it's like a, like a needle of adrenaline to the heart. And then you have game seven, you know, less than 24 hours later, how, just from Kirby hitting that home run, like, how do you, how do you sleep after that?
6: Well, oh, you don't, you don't I mean, listen, game six, we have to win, right? We have to win that game. And the way we did win, it, it was exciting and exhilarating. And, you know, you're so pumped up after the game. And even TK was like, he couldn't believe it. He said, you know, just one more chapter of the book is going to be played tomorrow. Um, so we're all excited, but we knew that uh, obviously we, there's, there was a job to be done the following day. But the fact that Jack was going to take the ball gave us so much confidence. You know, again, we talked about this earlier in the interview that um, if there's going to be a guy that's going to compete and give everything he has, whether he has this stuff or not, it's going to be him. He's been in huge games before. He's thrown no hitters before. Um, he's played in front of packed houses before. So he's the kind of guy that's not going to let the situation get to him mentally. And, uh, as, as, uh, as, it, as we all saw, he did not let anything get to him. He took the ball every inning and would not leave the game until we got that one run in.
2: Mm-hmm. So with, with your role in that game, as it's going, you had mentioned that, you know, you got to be ready for painting. You got to be ready for Stanton. Were you kind of thinking as long as Smoltz is in this game, I'm, I'm probably not hitting.
6: Yeah, probably. I think the only guy that might've been pinched hit for in that particular time was a a Greg Gagne situation. If there's, you know, sometimes during the year, TK would pull him out against the tough righty. But uh, uh, you know, with my situation there, um, if you remember in the eighth inning, I believe is when uh, uh, Jarvis Brown ran for Chili Davis. And I didn't believe if, the lineup came around again to Jarvis's position he was going to hit because he was basically a pinch runner for us a defensive replacement the whole second half of the season so I think I thought that might be an opportunity for somebody whether it was me or somebody to to pinch hit for Jarvis and that's exactly what happened
2: so did you start prepping at that moment like especially after Chili's out of the game did you you know start did you go up to the weight room like what was the what was the play there
6: yeah, I went, I went up there. Um, again, we're, you know, qu- we're kind of running out of players again, right? So I'm up there, and and uh, I think Paul Sorrento had pinched hit in the ninth inning um, and had a great at-bat, just didn't, you know, the last, uh, didn't make struck out, but had a great at-bat. Um, so we kind of run out with from left-handed pinch hitters. So I went up there saying this might be a chance, and then uh, once the inning started, I come back into the dugout in the little hallway there and just watch the whole thing, um, you know, transpire there with, uh, with Danny's broken bat double. And again, the, the, uh, the thing that doesn't get enough credit is Knobloch's uh, is bunt to get him to third base. Because if that doesn't happen, the inning could be totally different. Man on second base with one out, but he got the job done. Now he's got a man on third with one out. And then uh, Atlanta's got a decision to make. You know, you knew they were going to walk pocket for the double play. But I didn't know if they were going to walk Kent or not because obviously he's a double play type of guy doesn't run very well and he wasn't swinging the bat very well during the series so I guess that was the decision they could make that they go him or they go with a pinch hitter but if I'm Atlanta I do the same thing they do I don't want Ken Herbeck beating me I want someone like Gene Larkin trying to beat me with the bases loaded with all the pressure on him and I think. I would do the same thing.
2: And when did you know that they were actually putting a bat in your hands? Did you know when, after Knobloch laid down the bunt or was it when they decided to put her put her back
6: on? TK just said, you're up your turn. And, uh, I will be very honest with you, Kyle. When he says it's your turn, then my legs start to turn to jello a little bit. And from the on deck circle to the batter's box, I am as nervous as a professional athlete could be walking up there. Um, and then if you remember correctly watching the game, a lot of time he laughs because Terry Pendleton, who was the third baseman, was trying to situate both the infield and the outfield because they both have to play in. Brian Harner was the left fielder, and they was trying to situate how close should he be playing. You know, I don't remember how good an arm Brian had, but all the outfielders had to play in, in that particular time. Um, and again, I'm nervous, so I'm going back and forth, stepping out of the box. Swing swinging a bat. And then I finally get in the box. And I will tell you that when I got in the box, for some reason, I kind of felt a sense of calm. Um, and the only, and when I look back, the only reason why I think that was because one, I felt I wasn't going to get struck out by Pena. I didn't feel like he had a strikeout pitch for me. Um, my concern was trying to put the ball in place somewhere, preferably in the outfield with a high pitch And my other concern was I didn't want the umpire coming into play, meaning I didn't want two strikes to get on me because, again, human beings hitting, human beings umpiring, you know, a pitch or two off the plate, inside or outside, then the umpire starts to come into play. And I wanted to get the first hitter strike. And fortunately for me, Pena threw a pitch that is a perfect hitter strike in that situation. It's up and away. I'm not gonna get jammed. I just gotta get the barrel to the ball and hit a nice fly ball over Hunter's head, and the rest was history.
2: And seemingly you knew it right away. Yeah. You you pimped it before the term <laughs> pimping was a thing.
6: <laughs> I don't know if I'd call it a pimp, but as soon as it hit the barrel, I knew it. I mean, it's just a sigh of relief. And I raised my right hand and I jogged to first base. And um, half the team went to Danny at home, and then half the team ran out at first base to, to congratulate me and then. You know, it's it is such an enormous feeling. I can't even tell you that you play a team sport from, you know, mid-February until late October with the same guys, basically. And you bust your butt and you, your ups and your downs. And uh, for someone like me to have an opportunity to drive in a winning run of a World Series, it's, it's ridiculously crazy to think about. Um, guys who are so much better than me, Hall of Fame careers don't have a chance to have one at bat in a World Series, yet I have a chance to bat in a 10th inning of game seven and driving the winning run. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy to just even think about.
2: What time did you get home that night?
6: I had you not. I night. did not. I did not get home. In fact, I didn't sleep for like almost 40 hours after that. I got up. Um, Good Morning America had me and TK on the following morning at the Metrodome. Did not sleep at all. And then, you know, talked to every every media outlet for a while I had my friends and family constantly calling me and talking to me. Um, and it's about two, two days later, I finally crashed for about a good 24 hours. And, um, you know, I, I kind of felt like Kirby Puckett for like two days because everybody wanted a piece of me. It was kind of funny.
2: Can't think of a better clip to go out on with this episode I'm talking about the playoffs, talking about the world series, uh, long clip from a guy who, who walk off winner, one of one, of few in, in baseball history, um, again if you enjoyed any of these interviews they're all in the feed available wherever you get your podcast next week or in 2 weeks we're going to going to be back have a new interview new players have some some great ones lined up to wrap up the year uh, remember great time to subscribe to Baseball America it's always a great time to subscribe to Baseball America covering the Arizona Fall League you know organization top 30 is going to be coming out before you know it always a great time to subscribe to BA if you enjoyed this episode subscribe wherever you get your podcast Rate and leave a review if you're on Apple Podcast, and we'll catch you in two weeks. Thanks for listening.
0: Spring? Is that you?
6: Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot Code
0: SUPER24. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it?
1: I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write.